Hello, and welcome to the Hoff Podcast. I'm Daniel Turner, the pastor of the Tyler House of Faith. We take these messages from our weekly services and then release them here on our podcast channel for you. We hope you dig it. So to start off for today, the main point so far, I think it's really been a theme of late, is that the wilderness itself is a beautiful place, the place of space. John the Baptist, make way, make room, the voice calling in the desert. Where there is nothing, heaven's coming. But the wilderness also, even in steam, is the place of preparation. And not just preparing merely to step into inheritance, but actually preparing us to be able to receive our inheritance, to receive the promised land, but also to be able to receive it, hold it, and to steward it, right? And so God is, is really equipping in these stories and in our lives here and now, his children to walk in maturity so that we will be a beacon of light in the world. You know what I mean? Um, the leaders of the free world, really, um, because the wilderness really is about freedom. Stepping out of the old identity of the, of the slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, of the world, and into the reality of what it means to be a son, a daughter, somebody who has the, um, that huios, the, the, the mature sons, which all of creation is groaning for and longing for to be manifested. That's us. And they're waiting on us. And so two simple things as we go in through these Old Testament. One, you know, as we, as we always look at the, the 2 Corinthians 3.18, the glory to glory, as we see him, we're transformed into the same image. So going into the study today with the mindset of, we see God as he actually is, it causes us to manifest God as he actually is. It causes us to step into our true identity. You know, definitely a review, um, but there's something to it. That 2 Corinthians 3, you know, even the 14, 15, 16 there, of, of when the Old Testament or when Moses is read, as it says there in 2 Corinthians, like a veil still lies over their eyes. In other words, they're seeing it through a filter of the bipolar God that's burst out of the knowledge of good and evil. This is not the way we see things. We see it through the lens of Christ. That's my commentary, but it's very accurate to um, 2 Corinthians 3.15. That's what it's saying. And, and, and that's point number one. And point number two is freedom. We are here to walk in freedom. And that's the point of the wilderness. That's the point of the Christian walk. And um, as we will see, if we get to the second story, that freedom, um, the way of freedom in the Lord's heart and the walk of the shepherd is getting straight to the root. He goes for the jugular of the thing that holds us back. He actually gives us a spear in our own hand. He empowers us to go for the very things, the jugular of the things that hold us back. Amen. And that's what he's doing in the wilderness. He's, he empowers. All right, so there, there we're at. We're going to jump into Numbers 22. Okay, we've, we've seen a lot of things in these past several weeks of even looking through Numbers um, looking through this wilderness trek, <coughs> pardon me, but this week the Israelites are moving closer and closer to the place of stepping into the promised land. Only this time they moved and encamped in the plains of Moab and Balak, the son of Zippor, saw that all Israel had done to the Amorites, all these victories that he had, 
and Moab was exceedingly afraid. So there was this insecurity over the, the leader of Moab and, 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 and him coming to all of his elders and this fear of the people of Israel. And so this is the story of the recruitment of one of the most, if not the most powerful um, sorcerers of the day in biblical times. And so it's not just, uh, you know, it's not one of the palm readers, like when you go out Broadway towards Dallas, you know, on the right side, it's not one of those type of things. You know what I mean? This is a very powerful man. You know, this guy uh, named Balaam, and, or Balaam, and, and they're recruiting this man. They're going to hire him in order to curse the people of Israel. And so it's dramatic. And, and, and I will tell you, and hopefully I can do this well, justice, but like this story, it's, it's, it's not fragmented, but it's, it's just such a, it's just taken through such a historical view, the writer um, of numbers here. Some people think it's Moses, probably wasn't really, but uh, you know, it's taken through the historical view, so it's not really delving into the full nuts and bolts of the whole story. And we understand that because there's so much more reference to the story as we get into the New Testament. Even Jesus himself references this sorcerer in the book of Revelation, so that's pretty wild. But anyhow, so Israel has, um, you know, they've, they're going through this maturing process. And one beautiful thing about this one is this isn't a trial that they're even aware of. This is all going on behind the scenes. Some, some powerful sorcerers being hired to curse them, to, to eradicate them. And they are just, it might be Wednesday afternoon to them. Like they have no clue any of this is going on. So it's pretty funny. But um, um, so yeah, the Moabites and the Midianites conspired together to recruit a man who had connections to the spiritual underworld who could therefore arrange to have a curse put on the Israelites. No doubt the diviners were plentiful in those days, but there seemed to be a man, this, this man, Balaam, Balaam, who was um, uh, at the top of the field, very powerful, right? Um, and so they recruited him. And so they, <coughs> they, they, they sent message to him to come and curse a people for this king, for these, this ruler of these people groups, um, these multiple people groups. And so, um, Perhaps I'll be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land if you actually come and put a curse on them. So Moab was going to come and put some sort of a curse. I think we, we end up putting two and two together and realizing it comes in the form of a plague or something like that. He was just asking to do anything to weaken the people of Israel so that he could take them out. Um, so that's interesting. So the messengers come to Balaam in, in Numbers um, 22, verse 8. It says, he tells the messengers from the king, the... Um, the elders of Moab and, and, and elders of Midian with their fee and all their money, these nobles. Um, and he says, hey, lodge here tonight and I'm going to bring back word to you, whatever the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with him and then it says, God came to Balaam and he asked him a question. He says, who are these men with you? So Balaam says to He's like, well, Balak, the son of Zippor, like God didn't know, the king of Moab, he sent to me saying that these people have come out. They've come out of Egypt. They've heard all the stories, the Red Sea and all these other things. They cover the face of the earth now. Curse them so that I shall be able to overcome them and overpower them. So he's, he's, he's wanting to put a curse to where it would weaken the people. Yes, again, think in the terms of plagues or something like that. And um, yeah, so, and, um, so God says to him, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse these people. They're blessed. Yes. There's, your, there's, your, there's your answer from me. Okay? So God is stepping into this sorcerer's potentially dream life, you know, whatever, however this is happening. 
So a lot of commentaries think he's having a dream that night. Regardless, he's communicating to him, and he says, this is, this is a no-go. So Balaam, which you can imagine, these are my people, like, do not do this. It's like, hey, my hands are off. I didn't need that money anyways. I'm out. You know what I mean? So um, uh, he rose, raises in the morning, and he tells Balak, he says, go, go tell the princes, tells the princes, he tells the nobles, go back to your land. The Lord's refused to give me permission to go with you. Like, I'm not, I'm not messing with this. So what Balak does, the king that's trying to hire him, he sends more princes, more numerous and more honorable than they. So nobles, princes, and um, he gives them a whole lot more money. And so you can see he's, he's appealing to certain things. He's, he's, he's appealing to the, thing, the nature of Adam to, to greed, finances, money, the things that can trap people up, you know, to, to, to ego, you know. You know, you're going to be somebody in these people's sight, but he already pretty, was a pretty big dog. Um, and he says, thus says, says, says Balak to the son of Zippor, please let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I'll certainly honor you greatly, and I'll do whatever you say to me. Please come and curse this people. Then Balaam answered and said something to him, and, and he said, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go, go beyond the word of the Lord. Like, in other words, like I'm not crossing this God that's actually stepped into my, stepped into my house in a dream or how you know whatever it was. You know, there's a lot of gods in these days, but this this the God of Israel. This is this is another. This, I, yeah, I'm not doing this. Whoever this guy is, and so. But then he but then he says, well, well, please stay the night tonight again, and let's see if I get the green light one more time. So he didn't stick with what God had told him. He just says, well, you know. So God, again, it says, comes to Balaam at night and says, hey, if they come to, if they come to call you, rise and go with them, um, you can go, but only speak the word that I speak to you. So Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and he went with them. Verse 22, this is so strange. Then God's anger was aroused against him because he went and the angel of the Lord took um, took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. And he was riding on his donkey and his two servants were, were with him. Um, it says the donkey actually saw the angel of the Lord standing to oppose him with his sword drawn in his hand. And the donkey tried to turn aside to a field and run off a couple of times. It happened the first time it says Balaam struck him and the donkey, you know, turned her back and got back on the road. The second time, you know, they were standing in a narrow path between some vineyards the donkey sees the angel of the Lord again. This is, you know, some people say the second person of Yahweh. It is the Lord Jesus. It is God in the flesh. It's the embodiment of God. And it says she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. And um, then the third time, you know, the angel of the Lord, you know, stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she laid down under Balaam. So then his anger was struck and he hit his donkey with a staff. So here's an abusive animal abuser ticked off at his, at his donkey, and he has no clue that the donkey's eyes, it says in the next verse, have actually been opened by God in order to see. There's ears that gets open, but his eyes have been opened by God, and he's actually, or she is actually seeing the angel of the Lord standing there ready to oppose, with his sword out, ready to oppose this, this high-level prophetic sorcerer guy. You know, it's a crazy story. And um, um, it says in verse 28, the, the third time, when he actually reaches and he hits his donkey with his staff, um, the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey so that she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you struck me these three times? Which is like, can you imagine riding a donkey and hitting it with a stick? And then it turns, you know, just, you know, 
and talks at you like that. You know, what a, why are you hitting me like these three times? And usually you would think he fell off his donkey, he got scared, he jumped back. But he was so ticked off and so set in his way that he was going that he just started arguing with the donkey as if that was normal, you know. And he said, to the, because you've abused me. You pushed my sword, you did all these, you pushed my leg against the wall, now you're sitting down. He said, if there was a sword in my hand, I would kill you. Like, you're lucky, you're lucky there's a stick, not a sword. This is like, I'll cut your little throat, donkey. You know, just mad. But then the donkey says back to him, am I not your donkey, which you've ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And Balaam says, no. So it's like his, his, he, he, he's so set in doing what he wants. And here's a man, it's very interesting, we'll, we'll come to a scripture that the, that the Lord speaks to him prophetically when he meets him. And um, that, according to this historical record, has, has been told by God, don't go with him, don't speak against my people. But then the money gets a lot higher, the ego gets kind of pumped up, like, I could really be somebody in these nations as well. Like, I can get all this money. And it's like, the Lord tells him he can go the next day. And, um, but, but is God a man, is God like a man that would change his mind? You know, because there's a verse in the next chapter where God literally comes and he says, God is not a man that he should change his mind, nor a son of man that he should repent or change his mind. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. So here's God making a point. Like here, Balaam is, is God told you to go or God told you not to go. There's, a, there's some interesting uh, aspects of this story, which we're going to have to rely on 2 Corinthians for, that we're not seeing this through the veil of the bipolar. We're seeing this through the lens of Jesus Christ. And um, Balaam's got himself into a situation where he's going to do something. Um, and even in the second time, well, I'll just go. Only this, but I won't curse the people of Israel. I'll just, I'll just go and, and just do whatever the God of Israel tells me to do. But then on the way, God's actually standing there to oppose them. It's very strange. Yeah. But anyways, the donkey is talking to him. And finally, after he's gone back and forth with the donkey a couple times, and the donkey says, have I ever done this to you? And he realizes, like, no, you haven't. Like, oh my gosh, this must be some other reason that you're freaking out. There's a reason this is happening to me. And it's, it's one of those things like, you know, when you hear the Lord for direction in your life or you hear the Lord against direction in your life, but you keep going that way anyways, and then it keeps messing up on you every time, after a while, you know, there might be something to think about there. Yeah. Maybe this is a little bit more of me mixed in a blender with the word of the Lord than it actually was the Lord telling me to do it, you know? Just a thought. But anyhow, so, so the donkey's talking to him, talking back to him a couple rounds, and he realizes it. But then it says in verse 31, Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And he realized, like, oh my gosh, my, my donkey's my best friend in this whole story. He's been protecting me from doing this the whole time. And I'm so mad at him, I'm talking back to him, and he's talking, which is weird. You know, it's funny. God opens the mouth of the donkey to talk, then he opens the eyes of Balaam to see what he had already opened the eyes of the donkey to see. And I love the angel of the Lord, Yahweh, the person of Yahweh standing there, and his, his answer, it, it, he doesn't come at him saying, you're coming at my people Israel, like you're really coming with these people. Um, but what he does say is like, 
why have you hit your donkey these three times? It's like he's concerned with the animal abuse that's going on. You know, it's just so funny. Like, like can you imagine that your eyes open and, whoom, you know, the light, the, the sword of the Lord, and he's standing there, and he's like, why are you hitting that donkey like that? And you're like, oh, goodness, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, man. Um, behold, behold, I've come to stand against you because your way is perverse before me. Therefore, the donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not, surely I would have killed you by now and let her live. Wow. Do you think God really wanted to kill him, but that donkey just saved him? Do you think a donkey has power over God? I mean, it's not a trick question. It's obviously not true. No. Who's writing this anyways? You know what I mean? Okay. Questions to make you think, but I mean what I say. Uh, they're, they're intentional. Um, so Balaam says to the angel of the Lord, I've sinned for I didn't know that you stood in the way against me. Therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. Then the angel of the Lord says to him, go with the men, but only the word that I speak to you, you shall speak. And so this is really, this is really interesting to me because there's so many commentaries and thought processes of like, did he mix, did he, did he, did he take his own will for the word of the Lord the second time and go after the Lord told him not to go? Because the way the Bible writes it there, it seems like the Lord did tell him to go. Now, now God's standing in the way, but now he's actually giving him the permission to go. Um, um, but another way of looking at this is this really is a power check in a play. This is a wicked, a very wicked, highly powerful, proud sorcerer. And he's on his way. And it's like, excuse me, just so that you don't get a wild hair and change your mind because you think you have permission to go and do this, understand that I'm the one allowing you to even make it through this. You know, you catch what I'm throwing? And it's just like he's standing there with that, with that, with that roadblock saying, hey, listen, remember, you're not going here working for him. I'm allowing you to go here. And remember what I said about not saying anything that I don't say? Don't pull that game. And I love the protective father over the heart of his people, Israel, even when they're playing kickball downstairs. You know, and, and, you know, they don't even know what's going on. They have no clue this whole cosmic battle's going on with somebody who has keys to the, the realm of the dead or whatever, you know, that he's trying to unleash. You know what I'm saying? Look at Genesis 6 and just read through the back of the gods of the wilderness and of the, and of the territory and the people groups and all the... All the the, the point of almost every rebellion and, and, and the, the point of almost every contention was people going after other gods, uniting themselves to, with things that actually wanted to kill the people of God. You know what I'm saying? And so God is literally shepherding them and handling their business even when they have no clue about it. Amen. So then Black, you know, that he, gets, he, he gets the point loud and clear, right? So Black, you know, hurts Balaam, he was coming. You know, he comes out to meet him in Moab, um, and so he meets up with him. And did I didn't I not earnestly send to you, calling to you? Like, am I not able to honor you? Like, hey man, like what what even took you so long? I'm gonna throw tons of wealth on you. Like, come join up with what I'm with what I'm doing. But Balaam says something to Balak, which I believe now is really settled in his heart, which is like, look, I've, I'm here. Now, have I any power? at all to say anything. The word that God puts in my mouth, that's what I have to speak. So like he's learned his lesson by then. He's like, look, man, 
It ain't just a, this ain't just an incantation, me, me hiring some demons and something else and, and, and sending a plague to these people, man. Like, I'm officially limited. I can only speak what I can, whatever God, this God tells me, you know. So he, he <coughs> excuse me. So Balaam goes with Balak, and as the next day, he took him and brings him up to a high place, and, and we skip into Numbers 23. Um, and, and Balaam says this. He builds these seven altars and prepare, prepare for me seven bulls and seven rams. And Block does all these things that he had spoken. And he offers all these, he offers all these things as, on these altars of this high place of, of Baal, really. And um, Balaam says to Balak, stand by your burnt offering. Perhaps the Lord will come and meet me and, and, and he'll speak to me. And, and God actually does. He comes to Balaam and he says to him, and, and Balaam says to God, Hey, I've prepared the seven altars and I've offered each one on each one a bull and a ram, which is so interesting to me right there. So God literally shows up to this Balaam and it's almost like this pagan sorcerer is talking to God. This is not a prophet of Israel. He's talking to God and he's like, all right, it's almost like this had been discussed. Like I altered the seven altars. I got them done. Offered the bulls and the rams. Like let's, it's almost like he's working for Yahweh now. Not out of his own good-hearted will, as we'll see, but out of, out of the, the fear that he had stepped into. He's contending with the people of God. And um, it's interesting. God meets him, and, he, and, and, and he, it's, it says, The Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth, and he said, Return in Bala- to Balak, and thus you shall speak. So he goes back to Balak to give him this prophecy when he's expecting to curse these people. And, you know, maybe extracurricular. I don't know that he, he, he gives him this oracle, but it says he puts this word in his mouth. So I'm maybe uh, imagining even the way this looks like in the scripture of, of Balaam meeting God. And just like in some of the other, you know, John, you know, Ezekiel, when, when the Lord would put a scroll in somebody's mouth, it would be sweet to their mouth and, and bitter their stomach. That here, here he is receiving this word from God, almost like he's putting something in his mouth. Like, all right, go and release that. Like, all right, I'm going. You know, and he steps out to Balak. And I don't. I, sometimes I wonder if he doesn't even know what he's about to say. He's just like, I'm out of this. This is what God says. And um, he literally, he he literally gets up and he takes this oracle, Balak, the king of Moab. And and you can kind of read the whole thing in Numbers 23, um, but. He's, he speaks basically a blessing and victory over the people of Israel. He, does, he, he releases the exact opposite thing that he was hired to do. And it doesn't go well with, with old Balak, the ruler. He, he's like, what, what are you doing? I've sent you to curse him. You're, you're blessing him. This is, this is, you're getting this wrong. So he brings him up to another high place in chapter 23, in verse like 14. And, 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 and he literally says to me, come to me with another high place in a place where you can't actually see the people of Israel. I don't want you to actually look at them. For some reason, you're seeing them and it's causing them. Like, come over to a place you can't see them. And he tries to do it again. And um, it says, the Lord met Balaam and again puts a word in his mouth. And so then Balaam comes back to Balak the second time. You know, potentially the way I'm viewing this, it can be either way. But I, I'm imagining, puts the word in his mouth, goes back. He's like, all right, I got the word. Rise up and hear. God is not a man that he should lie nor a son of man that he should repent. He doesn't change his mind. And so now he has this oracle that is coming straight from the Lord. And that's kind of, you know, when, when you look at these things, did, did, God lie to, did God lie to him when he sent them or did he not? 
you know, and it's just like, no, he didn't change his mind and he does not lie. And this is a prophecy that's literally written in our scriptures. Granted, it's coming out of the mouth of a pagan, but he even goes on to say, there is no sorcery against Jacob. There is no divination against Israel. In other words, like God is putting the most powerful pagan sorcerer in front of this king who's been hired for tons of money. And he's, all he can release is blessing. And all he can say is sorcery doesn't work against them. None of these things happen against them. I cannot release this. You know what I mean? Just, and they don't know this is happening. You know, and they're playing ping pong or whatever. They have no clue down in the wilderness this is going on. And God is like having their back every time. It's, that's another thing that I, that I think maybe sometimes we give um, the enemy too much credit. Because the enemy doesn't seem like... Oh, it's witchcraft coming against me, brother. You know what I mean? I know that stuff is real, man. I've seen some pretty weird, trippy stuff. But the reality is the enemy doesn't really, can't really be blamed for the problems that they encounter in the wilderness. It's like it's, it's usually the, the Israelites get into a place of fear. And so they make some real unholy treaties with people groups. And, you know, in our historical books, they, sometimes they go into it, sometimes they don't. But they're part, they partner with the dark things that are wanting to rout the people of God. And that opens the door to them getting bit. You know what I mean? And it's just like, hey, man, like the enemy's on a leash. It's just like, what do we say when, when, when God spoke to Cain? You know, the sin lies at your door. It crouches at your door. But you should be the master of it. Like, you're not a victim of this thing. You let it in. You let it bite you, Cain. Like, you, you didn't even have to open the door to that. You have the power to not or to allow it. You know what I'm saying? Well, well God sent the snakes. Like, no, 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 no. We're not seeing through this lens any longer. The veil when they read Moses, we're seeing through the lens of Jesus Christ, which is that, that, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God, and He was God in the beginning. In other words, there's no God behind the back of Jesus that's different than Jesus. Yeah. Jesus Christ is, what it's saying in Hebrews 13, He's the same yesterday, and today, and forever. It's like He hasn't changed, you know? So we're seeing these things, even these historical books, and we're making sense of these things. You know, we're, ma- we're, we're gaining understanding like he's not a man. He's not, you know, boy, I'm, you know, the second time, you know, he comes and he utters this big prophecy about there's no divination. He talks about the nature of who God is. He doesn't lie. He doesn't have mind changes. Um, and Balak comes and he says to Balan, you know, he basically just tells him, just be quiet. Never mind. In verse 25 of Numbers 23, um, don't curse them or bless them. Like, just, just stop talking. Just quit it. But then Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord. And he didn't go at other times to seek to use sorcery. But he set his face to the wilderness. And Balaam raised his eyes. This is Numbers 24. And when he saw Israel, it says the Spirit of God started to come upon him. And he just started prophesying over them just by seeing them. A pagan sorcerer hired to destroy hired to send something dark which he ended up sending something dark i think we can get into it maybe for the last five minutes ten minutes um but he could not but release god's heart when he'd see god's people and it was it was so crazy so he 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 prophesied to them again even even more so about his success and about balak's fall and Balak, the king, the ruler, was, was, he was so upset. He's like, I've called you to curse my enemies, in verse 10. And look, you've bountifully blessed them three times. Go to your own place, like, basically get out of here. Like, I don't, I don't, want, I don't want your services anymore. And, um, you know, 
This is, this is the utterances of Balak, who becomes quite infamous because there's obviously much more to him in the New Testament. Peter talks about him, you know, says some very interesting things about Balak. He becomes, it's like you see that these are historical books concerning Balak and, and, and Balaam, I mean, <coughs> that's, tried to, to try, that's tried to curse the people of God. And it would appear, if you saw Numbers 24, that he changed his mind himself, that he was converted. But Peter, in 2 Peter um, 2, verse 14 and 15, says, They have eyes full of adultery and cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable stoles. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and have gone astray, following the way of Balaam. It's just like this guy ends up being infamous. Jesus himself in Revelation 2.14 says, I have a few things against you because you have these, you have, you have there those who have the doctrine of Balaam, who, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel and to eat things sacrificed to idols and commit sexual immorality. And it's just like, wait, he taught. So wait, you hear these verses and you hear these things about this, this sorcerer and this is going to take us to, to Numbers 25, which we'll just we'll probably do fairly quickly and close. Um, but it's like Numbers 25, it's, it, it would be a strange story if you're just reading it through without a lot of the context of the sin of Balaam that Jesus is talking about, that Peter is talking about, that Moses actually ends up, is, is quoted talking about, you know, five chapters later, six chapters later in, 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 in Numbers 30, 31. Because it's, it's a story of where um, the, the people of Israel were remaining in the Acacia Grove. This is right in the same time. And they began to, to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited, they invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods. And the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was turned against them. And so <coughs> what happens is Moses says, you have, or, you know, the Lord tells Moses, you're going to have to cut off from the people, the leaders and the people that have joined to this. See, now we're reading this historically, and we've, we've been back through the snake bites. We've been back through uh, Korah's rebellion, the 250 elders, um, the, you know, the demonic voice of the enemy trying to come in and steer the people of God into a direction they were never meant to go to really eradicate them. Um, we're, we're the ten spies who came and, and tried to stoke the fears of, Israel's to go into the, of Israel to go into the actual promised land. Actually, the Nephilim are there. We're going to be like grasshoppers to them. They're going to crush us. You know, And, and there's this constant poisoning and this, this stripping of people of the assembly of God, the, the, connect, the, the family of God, the congregation, and now we have one last one that happens before we go in. And it's this time they've actually joined themselves to you know, commit harlotry with the women of Moab, but they're bowing down to other gods. They're making actual connections to other gods that they were never supposed to connect to. And it's gods that have their, have their destruction in mind. And, and, you know, and to the point where Jesus is talking about Balaam and, and all these things. But what we know from those verses and Numbers 31... Moses literally says, these women and these, these, these treaties of these, this per, these perverted rituals and connections in these treaties have caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam.
to trespass against the Lord. And so we, we get, by reading a few chapters later, like this whole thing was set up by Balaam. He's like, hey, I can't, I can't curse them. I'm out. I can only bless them. Even to the point where when I'm able to see them, all that comes out is the Lord's words. But he comes and he gives the counsel to the king, Balak. My hands are tied here. However, there is a way you can get in. There is a way you can get, in it, get into them, and it's relational. It is, it is relational. You can get into them through their relationships, and you know, putting two and two together, they've seen all the relationships, even like the most, some of the most destructive ones, like Ahab and Jezebel. Like that was a treaty between two people groups. Jezebel's family, who was a royal family, and she's a high priestess, demonic priestess, and Ahab, who was the king of Israel. You know, it's like that. Those were treaties that people would make to have peace with other countries and, and nations. But what it would do is strings attached that so would invite the demonic into the people of Israel. And that's lesson after, I mean, it's lesson after lesson after lesson. It was good for a little while, you know what I'm saying? It, it, was, it, was, it was pretty good for David, but as soon as Solomon took over, he had so many wives and girlfriends, then he opened the door of that thing again. Next thing you know, it started happening. Next thing you know, we're back in treaties with people with other gods and demonic things, and they started coming in through the people of Israel. Next thing, Israel spreads between Israel and Judah, all these different things. And so all this division could come in, hey, if I can get them to compromise because they're so fearful. We know that they're so fearful of going into the promised land. They're so fearful and afraid of the Nephilim. They easily easily rebel. If we can get them to feel secure by connecting to people and making treaties in their own flesh that they know better than, and actually putting up with other things because those strings attach, then we can poison them from, from the ground level. And I won't have to do no witchcraft curse. They'll open it to themselves. And surely that's what happened. And so it's, 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 a, very, it's a very short, I'm not saying this well today, but it's, it's a very short condensed way of saying this is what was happening amongst the people of Israel. But this was, the, this was like the last straw. Like they were so close to going in. And this is one of the last ditch efforts of the enemy to come and try to bring his perversion, bring his darkness. And because of this, you know, they're like, we need to, those men who have joined themselves to Baal have to be executed and cut off from our people because they're parting with some, partnering with something demonic that has our destruction in its mind. And so it says, Indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented in verse 6. It's, such a, it's strange because it's written so condensed. But in their history, it's not written condensed. One of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the congregation of the Israel who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So, in other words, this, in the, in, this was out in the open there was, a, there was a ritualistic marriage that happened that merged two families together. And the family of the Israelite was, was a distinguished family, and so was the family of the, the, Moab, the Midianite woman. And there was a wedding that was actually out in the open in the people of God. I don't think this isn't like, hey, we're looking across the street. Hey, man, there's a guy going into a tent with a girl. They just got married. You know what I'm saying? I think that's how we think of these stories sometimes. But there's, they're so loaded in this history. And it says... Um, Hold on real quick. There was a plague that was going out through the people because of what they had joined themselves to these other, other gods. So the curse of what would have been the curse of Balaam, he didn't end up having to do him, but the plague started to go through them so that the Midianites could defeat them because that's what was their plan was. 
And it says, when they saw this wedding, this, wedding, this, this partnership happening, it says, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, and he rose from among the congregation, took a javelin in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel, and he ran into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her body. So they were connecting, and wham, you know what I'm saying? This, you know, Phineas comes with that hitter, with that spear, with that, with that, and it says, so the plague stopped amongst the children of Israel. And you see this in Psalm 106, you know, it's kind of recapped the story of the history of Israel. And it says, those who died in the plague were 24,000. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel because he was zealous with my zeal amongst them. So I did not consume the children of Israel, my zeal. Therefore, behold, I give him to him the covenant of my peace. And man, that's worded very interesting. But we realize what's happening. It's something that we've seen earlier uh, in, this, in this kind of historical deal. It's like so much of what they dealt with, God on his end was shielding them and protecting them constantly. And it's like when the plagues would come out, even though it's written and it's given credit to as if God's the one that sends it, and this one it doesn't, it's just as a plague was broke out against them because they were joined to those people. Um, it's like God is always, just like the snake bites and the bronze serpent, he's always the one that steps in when people have the mindset to repent and actually turn to him that come and brings the solution of healing. And he's the one that come and actually severs the, the doors that people have opened when they've chosen to close them, he's the one that actually comes and reverses the thing. And this is a pretty drastic story. It's graphic. If you think about, you know, wedding ceremony and all this, and they go in this tent, and this dude comes in and just, hey, you know, hits him with that, that spear. And, but the spear caused this curse that was actually plaguing through the people to be shut out. Boom. And, and it's a very interesting thing. But it's like this, <coughs> excuse me, that, that sphere of, of, of Phineas is literally symbolic. It's something that cuts to the root of every rebellion we've covered for like six weeks, which is fear. It cuts straight to the root of that thing. Because even all of the idolatry throughout all of the children of Israel's connections in the Old Testament was always rooted in fear. Instead of actually going in and conquering the people that were had, you know what I'm saying? It started a rebellion. And even as you read all the way through the books of the Kings and the books of the Chronicles, it's the same exact way. All of the rebellions against God, all, all the connections to the other gods of the world, all came because of fear. So people were afraid that God wouldn't take care of them, so they made relationships and connections with those in order to get their needs met and to be safe. But they didn't realize by not trusting God, they were trusting their own selves, and those relationships, those connections they were making were were came with such strings attached that the poison of the enemy could flow into the fruit of their life. And it's, it's, a, it's certainly a very drastic way of looking at that, but the reality is, is God was taking them to dealing with the very root of the problem and something that was affecting everybody. Because remember, we're looking at the, the people of Israel and the nation of Israel, not even as necessarily a church or a congregation, which can work, but as a person. 
and, and, and as a son or a daughter that's walking through this life into the wilderness of the unknown. They've stepped out and they've gone the unforeseen way that God is leading them and he's leading them into maturity and there's aspects of our heart and of our life that we can remove. Yeah. And it's all the aspects that actually manifest when we, when we manifest fear, we don't trust God, or we do things to get our needs met, the mindsets of Egypt that he was breaking off the people of Israel. It's the walk of all of the people going in to inherit their promises and the promises of God. And he was actually routing that stuff from them. You know what I mean? We're not looking at this as, as judges of people. We're looking at, just like 1 Corinthians 10 says, like these things happen to them as examples for us. We're learning from these stories of what it looks like to be those sheep that follow the shepherd. You know what I mean? Who follow him and, and deal ruthlessly with those things as they come up. And it's just like in our own heart. When we see something, like, oh my gosh, something dark is manifest in my life. Instead of, why have you done this to me, God? At least we had more water in Egypt. You know, they always want to turn back. They always want to blame shift. But coming to the place, it's like, hey, this dark thing is manifesting or this thing has a hold on me. But I'm more than a conqueror. And so, so what, is it that you're, what is it that you're leading me into? And a lot of times, just like the spear of Phineas, it's like God wants to deal with the root of the thing, the root of the door that's causing the fruit of fear and insecurity or anything that causes us to manifest an identity that is not our true identity. You know, even the, the small things of the wound from the past or the humiliations or the betrayal that causes us to, to wear a guarded outfit, you know what I mean? To wear a guarded look, a guarded face, a costume in order to get our needs met or in order to stay safe. Or causes us to re-enter into relationships that we just shouldn't. They're not in light. You know what I'm saying? Just because, well, it makes me feel a certain way. You know, It's like so many people in this life, in just in the world, not even just this life. It's like they don't have relationships. And it's because of this. You know what I mean? It's because, of, it's because of the fears and insecurities that God actually wants us to be free of. And so many people, even the relationships in their life, they're not relationships. They're only just partnerships. Or they're just, this person meets this need, so I meet that need, and so we have an agreement. And that's, dude, some people's marriages are partnerships. It's terrible. It's not love. It's not relationship. It's not connection. It's just like, well, you meet these needs, or you supply these, and I supply that. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, that's not how God's called us to walk. And, you know, this is that first, first John 1, verse you know, 5, 6, 7. You're talking about, you know, he who walks in the light has fellowship with one another. He's like, I've called you to be in relationship and community and communion and fellowship in a profound way that the blood flow comes through. There's not a string attached that actually brings you down. You know what I'm saying? You know that the, the, the blood of Christ cleanses us from sin is what it says. We know that we've been forgiven of sin. So what does it mean to be cleansed of sin? It means to walk free from the effects of the fall. From the plague of the poison of the enemy. Are you saying we can walk to the point where this stuff doesn't affect us? Like, yeah, I think that's what God's actually leading us into. Walking above that snake line. Walking into that place where we're like, like, we're not susceptible to the climate of the world. But the root is always fear. You know, something happened. Somebody had some pain in their life. And so now there's a fear that it will happen again. And so I wear an outfit or a costume where I become a certain way to make sure it does not happen again. And somebody who's insecure and, and, and wearing the, the metal outfit of, of, of the fearful in order to protect themselves is not free and cannot bear fruit, but can also never enter into real relationship and connection, community, the very thing that causes us to go higher in this walk and in this life. And man, oh, Phineas, um, I, I remember doing the 
teaching on Phineas. It's a, it's a good one. Probably could have been two weeks, but I, I think I'm, I'm straight to do it today. But he comes and he, and he pins and he's like, he will have a covenant of peace. There's a level of peace that we're called to walk into that the wilderness is accomplishing to where we're not, our peace is not in, in relation to the climate of the world. You know, it's in relation to like, it's like, it's not just the green grass and the still waters. It's like, even if I'm through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't fear anything because the rod and the staff is there to comfort me. It's just like, okay, okay. So you love me and you've got this. And I'm just, even if it's unconventional, I can just follow you in this thing. Even if everyone thinks I'm an idiot <laughs> for decisions I'm making, if I'm making them to follow you, I can, I can be at rest in that and actually enjoy the ride. There's so many fears that I've had in my life that I look back on and I realized I could have really enjoyed that season of my life because God was going to come through. But I allowed fear. I was puckered up hoping, hoping God was going to come through. And of course he came through because that's what he does. But if I had the understanding of the goodness of God in that season of my life, I could have actually just rested and trusted him where he was leading me and it was going to work out anyways and I could have enjoyed those times. You know, There's something to the redeeming the time. You know that Colossians 4, 5, like the, of walking circumspect, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the day of evil. It's like there are so many people that we're called to impact as well and that we're called to release life to, the beacons of light, the leaders of the free world, that when we are walking in a place of fear, we're only actually looking for what could harm us or how, what's going to meet our needs. But man, when, when all that burden, that yoke and that burden of fear and insecurity is off of us, our eyes are off of ourselves because we're so taken care of by the shepherd that we're, that we're free to look up and look out and be the wells of living water flowing through us that we're called to be. Amen. The wells that contain his water, but also that it flows through. And that's what maturity looks like. And, and that's who the people of Israel. It wasn't like you're supposed to have a promised land that's supposed to be yours. It's just like, no, you're, you're, you're supposed to be a people through whom all of the families of the world will be blessed. That was the blessing of Abraham. You're supposed to be a blessing to the, all the world. And God was pinning, or he was empowering them to get to the very root of things that kept them from being, that, being what that looked like and who that was. And so, and that's why I kind of want to do Phineas. I know we kind of ran through it today, you know, but, you know, you forgive me for it, maybe take you a week or so, but... Um, the reality is, is like God has empowered us to deal with things as they come up when we're in relation to him. And we've been talking about like, this is a year of freedom for us. That's a word for our house, you know. And in that relationally and in life, things are manifesting and coming up, not because you're disqualified, but because God has empowered you to drag things into the light, to actually thrust the spirit of Phineas through, the spirit of the peace of God through them. He deals with things by the very root. So don't, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that beset you. You know what I'm saying? No, this has happened to everybody that walks this life, right? You know what I mean? Like, this is our actual walk. And God's heart for every single one of us is to step into freedom that is extravagant. Yeah. And not when you die. I mean right now. Amen. There's, a, there's a confidence and a freedom that is extravagant. That, that like the praises of God are continually upon my mouth and my lips. That's who we really are. Like celebrating the Super Bowl victory without the Super Bowl, you know, walking in victory and being a light to the rest of the world. That's who we're called to be. You know what I mean?
All right, so Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for <coughs> your word, which is true, and that we can see it through your lens, the reality of who you are. I thank you for this time of even freedom and, and the reality that you highlight things in our life, that your light lightens darkness sometimes. And what that looks like is you empowering us to overcome the things that hold us back from being who you've called us to be. So Lord, we welcome your voice in our life, which leads us into all truth. And Lord, I ask that you would, you would continually help lead us into a place that is so free of fear, so free of insecurity, that we are never steered by anything in this life other than you. Even as it says in Romans 8, just those who are led of the Spirit of God are the sons, the, the, the sons and daughters who are mature, that the creation is groaning for. Let it be said, that be said of our whole household in our families, the people who are free and that set other people free in you. Amen. All right.